The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
praise God this morning. Amen.
sings, my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. You are mighty, you are worthy of our adoration, and we praise you today. Through Jesus we sing, we pray, and we believe. And it's in his name we pray, through Jesus. Amen.
the 4th of July. <laughs> I think it's been announced a time or two this morning. And it commemorates the day that the American colonies declared their independence from Mother England. But what led up to that? Well, through aiding the Americans in the French and Indian War, it seems that the British government had built up a great debt trying to raise and maintain and equip an army on a foreign soil. And so, after it was over with, they felt like that we Americans should help shoulder some of that expense. So Parliament enacted a number of different taxation acts. Well, the colonists believed that Parliament could enact laws, but we were independent enough that we thought only our elected officials could 
enact taxes. And so taxation without representation was their attitude. So they formed a bunch of committees. They even eventually formed the Continental Congress to try and find common ground, but they never were able to find any place that they could agree. So fighting broke out in April of 1775. And then on July the 4th, 1776, they declared their independence. Well, over the next several years, over 200 battles were fought, mostly on land, but some even on the seas. There were not only uh, the colonists, but there were also Germans and French, some of the Native Americans, even some of the, the slaves joined in the fight. But independence was not won. The, the war was not over until 1783, when the Treaty of Paris was actually signed. So now we celebrate independence. And that's something we Americans, we value very highly. We see signs and flags that say, don't tread on me. Uh, I brought myself up by my bootstraps. Nobody can tell me what to do. You know, what's true for you may not be true for me. Well, where did all that come from? Well, how about in the garden? You see, God had made it very plain to Adam and Eve what was right and what was wrong. You need of everything in this garden except that tree. But Satan came along and he convinced them that they'd be better off determining for themselves what was right and wrong. And we've been paying the price ever since. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. And isn't that exactly what God told them? In the day you eat of it, you will die. So is independence really all that good? Is it a good thing? Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You know, the fact is, we all serve a master, but it's our choice which master we're going to follow. The master of following our own inclinations only leads to bad things, things that demand more and more of us. In fact, things that are really unattainable. You see, no man can achieve eternal life. Only God, the source of life, is able to grant that one. In another place, Jesus said, for whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So the day that we declare Jesus as Lord of our lives and we're baptized, we declare our independence from the evil one and our dependence on the one who truly loves us, Jesus, who gave himself on the cross for us, the one who loves us enough to die for us. But, you know, our spiritual lives are actually a lot like 
that war for independence. We declare our dependence at that point, but the battles continue for the rest of our lives because we live in that middle place called life. Daily, we make wrong choices. And they almost always turn out to be bad. But, John tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His blood continually washes us clean. So, we can join with the Apostle Paul in saying, I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So that one day we can say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also all those who have loved his appearing. On that final day, our goal is to hear our master say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So as we take communion, we celebrate our dependence. Let's pray. Father of mercies, how grateful we are that you loved us so much that you gave us your son so that whoever chooses to believe in him and follow him can attain eternal life. Lord, in this act of communion, we acknowledge our sin, and we further acknowledge our dependence on you for guidance and ultimately for life, true life. Thank you for the promise that your blood continually washes us clean. Thank you for the gift of dependence. For you yourself said, Come to me, all you who are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. For your yoke is easy, and your burden is light. And that's true, because you've done the heavy lifting of dying in our place. We no longer have the fear of death as a taskmaster, and thus we are truly free to follow you, and follow your guidance, and live life eternal. It is in the precious name of Jesus that we bring this praise. Amen. Story is told of Everett Swanson. Uh, he was a preacher. In 1952, he flew from Chicago, Illinois, to South Korea. For those of you that are history buffs or watched MASH, you know that that was the height of the Korean War. And he flew over there to preach to the troops. It was winter. It was very cold. And he had just got to the house. He had his coat on, and he took his coat off, and he laid it over the back of a chair, took a step away, and a kid ran through the house, stole his coat, and took off running. So Everett gave chase. He was a preacher, but he was from the streets of Chicago, and ain't no kid going to steal my stuff. So he goes chasing after him, and apparently it looked a little like a scene from Aladdin where a kid's jumping and running and in and out and all around, and, and he's chasing after him, and he just about thinks, just he, just thinks he's just about got him. He goes around a corner, I got him, I got him trapped now, and he goes around, and the kid has disappeared. He's just vanished. But his coat is laying over there, and he reaches, he's like, okay, well, at least he dropped the coat. He reaches to pick up the coat, and there are two little children underneath it. Not the kid, but some other kids. And he looks around, and there are piles back in this alley, and, 
And there are kids under all of these rags and jackets. And he stumbled on a makeshift orphanage. Kids that their parents had been killed in the war and they didn't know what to do with them. And so they were just all hiding together. He went back to the house where he was living and he brought soup back for them. And they all tried to care for him the best they could. But he stayed up all night stressing about it. All night long. And at sunrise, he, he runs back to check on them. And he finds there are soldiers there. The soldiers weren't harassing the kids. They were checking on the kids. He talked to the soldiers and he said, Yeah, we come out here every morning and the ones that didn't make it through the night, we load up their bodies and take them away. And we try to do what we can, but we just can't do very much. What are you going to do? And he said, it just haunted him, that question. What are you going to do? He was telling in his story that when he flew home, the drone of the engines sounded like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it just, it just ached. He went back and he, he was at his church in Chicago and he went to lunch with a buddy of his that was a businessman and really important in the church. He was telling him this story. They went back to his office and he pulled out the desk drawer and he handed him a check. It was a blank check for $1,000. Now, at that time, that was a lot of money, and I looked it up this week. It would be between eleven dollars and $12,000 of our current money. It was a decent amount of money. And he asked the gentleman, Eric Swanson, the preacher, asked him, he said, what is this for? And he said, the Holy Spirit told me when I started this business that I was going to help take care of widows and orphans, and I should have that check and others ready all the time. So I will have more of those. And he writes his name and it gives it to him. And that act became the beginning of what we know as an organization called Compassion International. Now, many of you have heard of this organization. Uh, they fill out the little cards. You send, you know, 20 bucks a month or 15. I don't remember what the amount is. And it goes all around the world and it helps kids. That's how it started. I don't really want to talk about the organization, but that word compassion is where I want to focus today. We're in this series called Road Trip, taking God with you wherever you go. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, if you'll start turning that way. If you're online or on the radio, thanks for joining us at Central Christian Church in Portales. We're glad you're here. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read from the uh, English Standard Version. It's not one I typically use, but I wanted you to hear it in this version. Now, the problem with this word compassion it's an easy church word to talk about, and lots of people have it. But here's the problem with it. It often sits here, and until it comes out as an act, it doesn't really change anything. So listen to Jesus and his interaction with this gentleman in Mark chapter 1. How many brought your Bibles? Lift them up. Lift them up. Let's see them. Bibles, apps, whatever. There you go. All right. If you don't have one, we'll get you one. Uh, if you want a free app, you can get on there and get it off of ours. But we're a Bible-believing and a Bible... There we go. Bible-using church. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every 
quarter. The Greek word that we get compassion from is this word, symponia. Everybody say symponia. I'm sure that's not how it's pronounced. I don't speak Greek, and I'm sure that's not how it's written. It's in those funky little letters. But it comes from, uh, and you'll recognize this if you're used to the King James, from 1 John 3, the verse that Suzanne read earlier, but listen to it from the King James. But whoso hath the world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? The word translates bowels. And that's probably a more accurate description. Because when you feel something, when you really feel something, you don't feel it in your chest heart. You feel it in your gut, don't you? You feel it in here. You, you know, when you meet that certain someone and there are butterflies. They're not up in here. They're down in here. So, Husbands, if you want to talk really biblically to your wife, I want you to look her right in the eye and say, Oh, baby, I love you with all my bowels. Oh, honey, you just fill up my bowels. It may not be the most romantic, but it's very biblical. All right? But you might be saying, Okay, Don, get on with this. What is this? Why does this matter? Why is this important? I'll tell you why. Because in all of Greek literature, that word right there was always a noun. It was always something you had until Jesus comes along. And Jesus is the first person, according to several writers that I see, he's the first person that uses this word word, as a verb. Compassion is a verb. And friends, our purpose is to move compassion from our guts to our palms. You hear me? It's no longer just in here, but it comes out. Move from what we have to what we give. And here's where I find the problem. We often, as Christians, have compassion. Amen? Hallelujah? We know it, all right? We have compassion on groups. But when we have compassion on groups, it's easy to keep it here and not move it here. It's when you hear their story. It's when you are with them that it moves from compassion from here to here. When we hear what their story is, it'll change your viewpoint. Do you realize what they called handicapped people in the Bible age? You know what they called somebody that had a handicap? Called them sinner. I don't like it. I'm just saying that's what it was. Uh, Remember the whole business where a guy comes up to Jesus and says, Who sinned, this guy that was born blind or his parents? If there was a, a, a malady in you, a physical problem, which I think is incredibly rude, uh, lame, uh, blind, leprosy, it's because you sinned. It had to be because you sinned. Now, you may not be wrong, but you're probably not right. Many of you might remember in the 80s and the 90s the HIV AIDS coming on really strong and, and all over our country and, and people being very scared and very offended at it. And I, like many of you, heard preachers stand up and saying they're getting their just cause because it's, it's a illicit drug use or immoral life and so that's why you're getting it. It's because you sin. Well, friends, that might be may not be wrong, but it's sure not right. It's sure not godly. 
And I'm ashamed to say, sometimes we look at a homeless person or so, somebody on the side of the road, and we, we look at them and we say, well, if they just quit living their life they, the way they're living, if they, we blame it on their life choices and not loving them where they are. How about this? This is ugly. The word illegal alien. We don't like it as a group. Probably most of us in here, and I know this is going to step on some toes, most of us in here don't like that terminology. We, oh, that's, they're illegal. It says it right there in the name. But most of those are a dad trying to do something for their kids. And when you do it individually, when you hear their story, it changes everything. And there's not a dad in here that wouldn't do anything for their kids, even break the law if that's what it meant. True? And see, so when you do it as a group, my compassion stays here. But when you learn their story, it's right here. And that's hard. This guy had leprosy, okay? He had leprosy, and he was desperate. And it was nasty. I was looking up some stuff, and apparently the leprosy they had and what we have in our day and time is not the same. I I could find pictures and gross you out and all that kind of stuff, but they're current pictures of what... And apparently the leprosy of that time was incredibly aggressive. It could get in their leather. It could get on their clothes. It could live on their walls. It was fast-growing. If you mentioned the word, then that person was untouchable. I mean, can you imagine a disease that spreads fast, that causes fear, it infects others? We don't know anything about that, do we? Uh-uh. We don't know nothing about that. Oh, fun fact I learned. Okay, in the rabbinic text, uh, do you know how far apart a, a leper, what, what a leper was supposed to do? Most of you know a leper is supposed to wear a bell. So they can hear them coming and they have to yell out, unclean, unclean. But do you know how far apart they had to stay from anybody else? Well, technically it was four cubits. A cubit is your arm's length and they ended up making it 18 inches. How much is four 18 inches? Six feet. See, they were socially distancing way before it was cool. That was a fun fact. Take home and wow your friends. But here's something to think about. I want you to look at where we are in the text. And why did this guy come running to Jesus? Now, hear me. You and I know that Jesus is Messiah. You and I know all the healings. But look where we are in the story. We're in the first chapter of the book of Mark. Mark is the earliest of the Gospels. And I sat there and read through it this week multiple times. And the timeline on the first chapter is Jesus hasn't been preaching very long. In fact, just a few days. How did this guy... I mean, it, it would. we all know, you know, it spread all across the land that he was healing people. But maybe by that time it hadn't spread very much. How did this guy know that that guy would heal? I think, my opinion, I think he was looking. I think he was probably raised in the law. He was raised and he understood Messiah was coming. Jesus said, you go do what Moses told you to do. I think he knew the law, so he was probably a, a Jew. He was probably an Israelite. And I think he was looking for a Messiah. I think he was looking with his eyes and his ears. And when he saw it, he said, if you're willing, I know you can. I mean, look at the faith of this guy. His faith is off the charts. Where is yours today? You see, I think listening 
to God and listening for God doesn't happen on accident. I think it's intentional. Remember, we, if you were with us a few weeks ago, I said this. The more you see God, the more you'll see God. And most of you looked at me and went, what? Uh, but the more you look for God working in your world, the more you will see Him working in your world. Is that a fair statement? And, and I think the more we listen for Him talking, the, listen for His guidance, the more we will hear His voice. Another statement. How many of you like your friends? Wow, only about half the arms went up. That is... Okay, next week's sermon, I already know. Uh, how many of you like your friends? Okay, it's pretty easy to like your friends, true? But it's often harder to like someone who is unlike you. Okay? That doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a human. Can you imagine what Peter and the other guys are when this whole scene is playing out? This guy comes running in here, sliding up on his knees and, and saying, if you want to, if you can, you can heal me. And Jesus reaches out. I wonder if it went into slow motion in all their heads. Peter's like, no! They're all trying to stop him because look at the ramifications of Jesus touching this guy. If he touches him, if he even if this guy touches the hem of his garment, Jesus is immediately unclean for seven days. Not even not even worrying about. I'm not even talking about the leprosy part. He's just ceremonially unclean. He cannot be with people. He cannot be in the synagogue. There was a cost, excuse me, to this. It would make you know he's unclean for the temple. But friends, compassion is not just something I feel. It's something I do. You hearing me? It's something that we reach out and, and do. If we follow Christ, we will see others as Jesus sees them. Not as a project, not as a sinner, but someone that is valuable to God. Then it moves from a verb, or from a noun to a verb. Then it's an act. I put my feelings aside and I act in compassion. And in four words, Jesus changes the road we're on. Four words. This guy, hey, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I will be clean. That's it. Four words. He He transforms the road you and I are on. You know why? You and I are on the road of take care of yourself. Let's just be honest. That's, that's how our, our culture is. Is, you know, look out for number one. Take care of yourself. But Jesus... He assumed that, that his clean was more contagious than the unclean. You hear this? I want you to see this. Jesus assumed that the cleanness he had was more contagious than that guy's leprosy that was unclean. The, everybody else is worried about the contamination, and he's believing in the contamination. He's sharing the contamination. Could Jesus have spoken a word and healed him? Oh, yeah, we see it. Could he have told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam? He did that to somebody else. Could he have waved his hands? Could he have danced to jail? He could have done a zillion different things. But he touched him. And that was an act of compassion, not a feeling of compassion. You hearing me? Question. Have we avoided people? whether it's a group of people or individual people, because 
They're not like us. They don't go with us. We're afraid that it'd get on us. You see, Jesus assumes our clean will get on them. Now, teenagers, I get it. We've talked a lot about watch who you hang out with, all right? Can, can how your friend group pull you down? You absolutely, absolutely are correct there. But Jesus is presupposing that our goodness will drown out their badness. We need to be proactive about that. Because the more we encounter Jesus, the more we will see people clearly. Sometimes Jesus hides behind the mask of a child. A couple of weeks ago we were at high school camp and I'm one of the small group leaders and we got into a small group. I didn't 